Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Hello and welcome to Saber Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Bun Me. Yes, yes. And the cravings. The cravings. Oh, the cravings. <laughs> yes, we are still coming to you from our uh, uh, COVID 19 related isolation. And oh my gosh, I am. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to order some Vietnamese delivery for tonight because this was a lot. Yes, yes. Oh, and tonight is the Great American Takeout Part 2. So I'll be doing your part by ordering ah. some banh mi. Yes, I don't think yes. it's... Uh, would, would you explain that that uh, that concept to us? The Great American Takeout uh, is a hashtag that started, I believe, two weeks ago. They did it for the first time and... It was um, a Tuesday, and there was this push to order from local restaurants in your area and then tag your whatever you got delivered on social media with uh, Great American Takeout. And it's just this way to try to support local businesses that are struggling in this time. And I did it last time I ordered from local restaurant Cooks and Soldiers, and I got a bottle of Prosecco and a cocktail delivered to me, and it was the best. Heck. Yeah, you did. Yes. That's great. Yes. 
<laughs> also remember, if you take part of this, which if, if you're listening, then it's already happened. But, you know, you can still participate, um, not on Great American Takeout. Tip, tip, tip well, tip so well. Oh, yes. Yeah, tips yes. are more important than ever uh, for, in, in these are uncertain times, for supporting your local service industry. Yes, yes. Um, and, bun me, this, the craving, it would be, I I might satisfy it too, Lauren. I, I, I tell you, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't think I had bun me until I got this job right out of college. And our coworker uh, and friend, Ben Bolin, um, Back when our office was in Buckhead, and I used to work in what we called the fishbowl, which is sort of this large glass office. It was originally meant for one guy, but after he left, it was seven or eight members of the video (laughs) team in there. (laughs) Um, And he, Ben, would go to Lee's Bakery on Buford Highway and get us all bon mis because they had a buy five, get one free deal. And I think you could also get a baguette as part of that. And it's oh, still... Yeah. It was glorious. Oh, still in my face. Yeah, in Atlanta. Oh, my gosh. But I think that was the first time I had a bun me. Oh, wow. Uh, gosh, I was I was lucky enough to have a, a wonderful friend who happens to be from Vietnam when I was in college. And, uh, and so she introduced me to pho and bun me uh, around that point. But I used to live within walking distance of Lee's Bakery. And... Oof. That it was it was dangerous, um, but I also miss it very, very dearly. Yes, oh, I would have been there all the time. I took my parents there actually. Oh uh, yeah, oh that's great. Did they did they yeah. like it? How did they feel about it? They really did like it. They got uh, so there you can get a pho plus like half a banh mi deal. So that's what we all got because I wanted them to try both. And it was one of those things where they would kind of randomly bring it up. Like, yo, remember when we ate that? That was so good. And I would feel warmth in my heart. (laughs) Oh, yay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Both are still some of my favorite comfort foods, which is uh, what inspired us to do this episode right now. And you can check out our pho episode for some more context when it comes to the history part on this one, because they do have a very similar kind of parallel story. So that is an option for you. Mm -hmm. Also, recently, the Google Doodle, or some may call it a foodle, and that's not me. People (laughs) on the inside called it that. When it's a food thing, they call it a foodle. On March 24th, (laughs) it's true, Lauren. Um, On March 24th, 2020, a.k.a. I think 100 years ago. Oh, gosh, yeah. Was anyone even alive then? Gosh. That was the time of dinosaurs. (laughs) But the the Google Doodle that day was the Bon Me. On that date in 2011, the Oxford English Dictionary added Bon Me to the dictionary. So, if Aww. you saw it, it was pretty cute, very colorful. I love I love a good Google Doodle, and especially a foodle. But sure. that brings us <laughs> silence. <laughs> I don't like portmanteaus of the of the word food with other things. It kind of drives me. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't appreciate it. What's another okay. one? Or like, or just like foodie. Like I, I oh. guess it's not a. But you know. But just stuff like I'm just like just I don't know. It's it's the word food is just so weird already. So I'm just like oh, just just leave that one alone. Food. Okay. I'll I'll ponder this and I'll gather my thoughts. And okay. then I'll send you a detailed report 
on. Oh, man. I love a detailed report. Excellent. Okay. I've been making a lot of them on what I would, <laughs> some would call useless things during this time <laughs> of self-quarantine. So you can eagerly await it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've been reading a lot of <laughs> such things during this time of self-quarantine. So perfect. But uh, I interrupted you when you were about to bring us to our question. Yes. Bon me. What are they? Oh, well, a bon me is a type of sandwich. It's served on a soft oblong roll that's uh, sliced lengthwise and toasted or baked to a chewy crisp on the outside. And uh, the fillings, the fillings can be a lot of things. Uh, but the combo that's really like propagated around the world is um, uh, slices of some kind of like cold cut style protein, like a, like roast ham or a sausage uh, and or terrine, um, topped with uh, crunchy shredded pickled vegetables like carrots and daikon radish, slices of uh, mildly hot chili peppers and fresh cucumber, and uh, chopped cilantro, and a swipe of mayo and or butter and or pate. There are strong opinions about this. Just, just roll with it. Um, <laughs> and then a drizzle of uh, savory sauce, classically maji sauce, um, which is like a slightly vegetal, herbal, salt-heavy sauce uh, along the lines of uh, soy sauce or Worcestershire or uh, liquid bouillon. Um, and so the result is this absolute bomb of complementary flavors and textures, as soft and chewy and crunchy and savory and salty and pungent and spicy and a little bit sweet. Oh, Yes, I love all of uh, the, I love everything that's going on, but I especially love all of the textures. I'm a big texture person, and I like a good crunch, but then it's, the bread is soft in the middle. Right. And then the, the vegetables are crunchy, so it's just, it's all, it's like an exciting experience biting into a bun me. It is, it is. It's very, oh, it's very pleasing in that, uh, in that, in that brain area that we've talked about previously on the show that like the the, the exact right combination of, of yeah. stuff just makes your brain go like, oh, 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 I wasn't I expecting like that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yes. Uh, in their homeland of Vietnam, banh mi are often a, a breakfast food or a, a heavy snack on the go kind of food, uh, either made at home or sold by street vendors. And oh, there are just tons of varieties, including Sweet ones, uh, like scoops of ice cream laid out in a roll uh, for an ice cream sandwich, maybe like sprinkled oh. with some chopped peanuts. I want to oh. try that right now. Me too. Ban mi, by the way, is also uh, the word for the type of bread that's used, like a the, the, this long roll made of wheat flour with additives like maybe a bit of rice flour or, um, a, I did this to myself, or exorbic acid or uh, or other stuff to give it like a thinner crust and a softer, sort of spongier uh, crumb than like a traditional French baguette. Yeah. But the possibilities are truly endless, especially as banh mi have traveled out from Vietnam to the rest of the world. Uh, you know, proteins from shrimp to chicken to tofu to fish to pulled pork to pork belly, beef, meatballs, tofu, mushrooms, tempeh, eggs, curried, marinated, barbecued, seared, deep fried, uh, whatever veg and pickle you want, whatever spicy, creamy, or pungent sauce you can get a hold of. Though for sure, some of these things will get you a little bit of a side-eye from traditionalists. Yeah, I I definitely read many articles where, well, not many, maybe like four, um, where it ended with somebody saying something along the lines of, that's not bun me. You can call it something else, <laughs> but it's not bun me. <laughs> I, okay. you know, I, I encourage... 
iteration on ideas and sure. and innovation. They're all mm-hmm. delicious. Yes. Yes. But there but but there is definitely a more traditional way to do it. And that's nice too. Indeed. And kind of on the other path, on the other side of that, I feel like nowadays you can find bun me flavored all kinds of things. And I was trying to think of examples because I know I've seen it around where I'm just kind of like, huh, like maybe bun me bowls or um or like a like, salad or yeah. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think we are seeing that sort of thing as well, as people have, at least here in the States, discovered how awesome <laughs> banh mi are and wanted to replicate that and have that flavor experience in other ways. Um, also, banh mi in New Orleans, sometimes called the Vietnamese po' boy. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll touch on that a little bit more later, but it's a popular item down there. Absolutely, and and very much parallels the uh, creation story of the po' boy in terms of uh, multicultural influence on a dish. Yes, absolutely. Well, I guess we need to talk about the nutrition. (laughs) Okay, so it really depends on your ingredients and, like, the size of the sandwich at hand, but the, the international, like, classic is pretty okay for you. I mean, you know, it's got protein and fats and veg and starch um, and can thus give you a pretty, like, rounded profile of both macro and micronutrients, though for sure it's easy for these things to go overboard on the fatty ingredients, you know, and bread is not a health food. But as street foods go, I think it's a pretty great option. Um, you know, it'll fill you up. It'll keep you going. It's got veg on there. Good for your mental health. <laughs> oh, absolutely good for your mental health. And yes. that is more important than ever these days. I mean, speaking of comfort food, <laughs> um, we do have some numbers for you. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> So some of the some of the numbers that I ran across were talking just all about the bread involved, um, because the, those those purists, those traditionalists, will argue that banh mi rolls go too stale for use after like three hours after baking. So wow. short window. There's a chain in California that um, that prides itself on producing fresh rolls every twenty minutes of service. Wow. I know, right? How delicious. That's amazing. Oh, yes. And kind of going off of that, in a 2010 interview with the Wall Street Journal, Vietnamese resident Mrs. Chuang said, given that the banh mi is eaten within five minutes of being made, quote, every hour is banh mi hour. There is something close to (laughs) alchemy when the baguette is still hot and has lent its warmth to the pate and the sausage while not wilting the cilantro or cucumber spheres. So eat it quickly. Official recommendation. (laughs) Absolutely. And writer Andrew Lamb calls the perfect melding of ingredients in a banh mi, quote, a moment of rapture. Oh, I agree. I cannot cannot argue with that in any way, shape, or form. The craving is getting worse. It's getting worse. It's all all craving-year from here. That's that's what we got. Craving-er. Uh, You heard it here first on Savor, (laughs) pioneering the ways and new uses of language. (laughs) We we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of the dreams. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) We do have some history for you. We we do. Uh, But first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. <laughs> yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot -E com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. <laughs> I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So like pho, as we mentioned at the top, banh mi is a combination of French and Vietnamese cuisine, a product of French colonization and the eventual establishment of French Indochina in 1887. Right. So, okay. As all of the European powers were uh, doing during the age of exploration and colonization, 
France engaged in these serious attempts to conquer and profit from places around the world starting in like the late 15 and early 1600s. King Louis XIV created the French East India Company in 1664 to compete with other trading companies working in Asia. Uh, But due to a number of conflicts, uh, both with Britain and internally, like the French Revolution, um, the French government didn't really get started um, attempting to colonize around Asia until the mid 1800s. However, all that time, um, uh, there had been Catholic missionaries attempting to make cultural inroads, and uh, and French Catholics um, and traders perhaps concentrated on Indochina, what's now Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, um, because of the relative lack of success there by other nations. Yes, and French missionaries looking to spread Catholicism were often met with suspicion and hostility. So France sent soldiers to accompany them. And this was totally fair. Uh, By this point, certainly, missionaries going to the area were strongly connected with their nation's governments and commercial interests and militaries. Um, The Vietnamese government realized this, and depending on who was in charge at the time— either saw it as a good thing, like trade equals power, yes, um, or as a bad thing, like trade equals potential takeover. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, no thank you. And meanwhile, the French authorities saw the treatment of overseas missionaries as an excellent way to manipulate relations with the governments involved. After the emperor of Vietnam executed two Spanish missionaries in 1857, the French, who had ships nearby fighting in the Second Opium War, retaliated. A series of skirmishes followed, and when French forces were freed up at the end of the Second Opium War, they consolidated their hold on Vietnam. Yeah, they took serious advantage of the situation. Um, And this became the French colony of Cochin, China, which would become part of the larger Indochinese Union established by France, Uh, a couple decades later in 1887, after conquering neighboring areas. To save money, the French established European staples in Vietnam instead of paying to have them shipped over from Europe. These items were expensive, and only the French could afford them, reinforcing the French notion that European things were better and only worthy of the French. Oh, and and this is just... It was this very ugly, very ingrained, pseudoscientific, uh, like us versus them concept that helped a lot of Europeans excuse their subjugation of South and Southeast Asian peoples. Um, This idea that like bread and meat are superior and eating them made Europeans superior to the rice and fish diets um, and the people who ate them in those places. Right. However, um... Some things were still difficult to create in Indochina, like like wheat flour, because wheat wheat was not psyched about growing there. So uh, so flour for bread had to be shipped in, and was thus perhaps especially expensive. French people living in or stationed in Vietnam took to buttering the much beloved baguette and stuffing it with pate. Or, uh, or serving it with a plate of, of basically charcuterie, uh, ham and other cold cuts, uh, pâté, cheese, butter, etc. The Vietnamese dubbed the French baguette bonté, or foreign cake, or Western bread. I've seen a couple of different translations. And they were something that the upper class in Vietnam could afford. They were the only ones who could afford them other than the French. And they enjoyed dipping them in condensed sweetened milk. 
Oh, I want sweetened condensed milk and baguette right now. Yeah. That's never a craving that I thought that I would have. But yes, please. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but moving on. More European ingredients were introduced to Vietnam during World War I and at a lower price. Uh, right. Upon, upon the outbreak of World War I, uh, French authorities in Indochina seized a couple of German-owned import facilities there that were stocked with all of these European goods. And simultaneously, like thousands of French military personnel were being shipped back to Europe to aid in the war effort. Meaning that suddenly, the Vietnamese market was absolutely flooded with these European goods and with way fewer French people to consume them. Among these goods was almost certainly a condiment called maji sauce, which is this like uh, legume protein-based liquid seasoning created in Switzerland back in 1886 that was meant to be a a cheap substitute for meat-based stock in working-class cooking. Um, And it would go on to enjoy popularity like everywhere, really. Uh, We could do a whole episode on it. I want to now. I I feel I feel like it's got these interesting cultural ties or like or like cultural similarities to like Vegemite and Marmite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I really, oh, really want to go into that. But but at any rate, this puts the sauce in Vietnam sometime around this time. Right. With all these ingredients more available, more and more Vietnamese bakers started making European-style bread and baguettes themselves. Vietnam's humidity, though, more intense than what you'd find in France, was an obstacle in getting dough to rise. Oh, yeah. And and that's where various additives came in. Um, And the sometime use of rice flour in the dough, uh, because during and especially after World War I, supply chains in and, and from Europe were seriously disrupted. Right. As the years passed, people began calling these baguettes banh mi. Mi means wheat. There's also speculation, which we mentioned in our pho episode, that banh mi is a linguistic take on the French word for soft sandwich bread, uh, pan de mi. Like pan de mi, banh mi. Uh, I don't know. It could be there. It could be both. Could be both. Could be. Could be either. French rule in Vietnam came to an end in 1954, and the country was split into the Communist North and Capitalist U.S.-backed South Vietnam. This is when the Vietnamese people really started putting their own spin on the banh mi, largely subbing out the pâté for slices of pork or as an addition to pâté. Before that, the French discouraged an alteration to their, quote, superior cuisine. There were distinctions between the banh mi of the North and the South. The Northern variety leaned toward a simpler presentation of bread, meat, salt, and pepper, whereas in the South, there were more vegetables, some of them pickled, and herbs in the mix. Many refugees fleeing the Communist North started selling banh mi from street carts. The climate was hotter in the South and not as suited for pho. USA Today and a few other sources even credit a specific shop with our more modern iteration of the banh mi, Hoa Ma out of District 3 in 1958. The owners, Mr. and Mrs. Lay, were a part of the refugee migration from the north to the south. And we're not positive about that pronunciation. We did look it up, but a quick Google didn't come up with their particular family's pronunciation of it, and the diacritical marks are present. But anyway, uh, yes, uh, Mrs. Lay had worked in Hanoi for this French company that made European-style cold cuts that would have been served with baguettes. They settled in Saigon, now Ho Chi Minh City. They wanted to provide a cheap, convenient takeaway option with fresh ingredients, in direct contrast to the expensive French version. 
Uh, and with more stable mayonnaise, replacing imported uh, and less shelf-stable butter. Uh, they also may have innovated, or at the very least popularized, the, the tradition of stacking the ingredients into sandwiches rather than serving them alongside on platters, you know, easier for eating on the go. Very convenient. Yes, yes. And the family still owns the shop. Uh, it's just a couple blocks over from the original location. After the end of the Vietnam War and reunification in 1975, food shortages once again put banh mi in the luxury category. And this didn't change until some free market reforms in the 80s, freeing up entrepreneurs and allowing the banh mi to emerge as a cheap street food. The arrival of American wheat helped as well. And this is when the world at large learned about the sandwich um, as folks from mainly South Vietnam settled all over, moving to the U.S. and specifically in New Orleans, Australia, and Europe, bringing their recipes with them. In 1980, a rich sugar merchant who'd lost quite a bit in the communist takeover of Vietnam relocated to California's Silicon Valley with his sons. They set up a food truck outside of a plant that made computer parts, specifically focusing on providing cheap, nostalgic lunch options to Vietnamese workers employed there, including banh mi. Soon, everyone was trying to get a taste of the sandwiches, leading to the creation of Lee Brothers Food Services, Inc., and they Americanized their name for that title. Um, these days, they provide over 500 California food trucks with their services. Their success also spawned the fast food chain Lee's Sandwiches. And then, I didn't know about this, the folks behind Chipotle opened Shop House South Asian Kitchen in 2011, largely focused on banh mi. It later closed all 14 locations in 2017. I completely missed this whole thing. Yeah, me too. It must not have been, it must not have gotten to Atlanta. Probably not. And then in 2014, Yum! Incorporated of KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell fame launched Bon Shop, also centered around Bon Mi. Currently, all of their locations are inside airports. So I think it's like, Dallas and Toronto. Huh. <laughs> yeah, if you, you happen I, to be there. Well, you're probably not right now, but later. <laughs> True <laughs> enough. Uh, I also haven't seen any of those, and now I'm, oh, I'm so curious. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, then in 2015, there was this whole kerfuffle that I also missed um, at Oberlin College in Ohio over a number of dishes from Asian cuisines, including banh mi and tandoori and, and sushi, the, these dishes were being served in the Oberlin College food court in very Americanized, very, like, inexpensive food hall forms that didn't resemble or, or even, like, reflect their origins. And some students took deep offense and called it disrespectful at best and appropriation at worst. And the internet called them social justice warriors. <laughs> and it was this whole thing. Do, do, do you remember this? I No. Oh, I missed it completely. But the upside here is that Oberlin officials took the students seriously, um, especially insofar as they were, you know, they were complaining about low-quality food in this expensive university's food courts. And and there was a few, like, specific things like, hey, you put beef in the tandoori for Diwali. Ooh. You probably shouldn't do that kind no. of stuff. Um uh, yeah, so I don't know, like apparently a lot of internet pundits got all riled about it as, as this demonstration of like wealthy students' privilege to protest campus life uh, versus like the very real oppression and appropriation of cultures that happens in more real world environments. Heavy scare quotes there, but you know. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I don't know, they, they, people were calling it Bon Gate or Sandwich Gazi. <laughs> I like how you can just put gate at the end of anything. Uh, that's, I mean, just a simple way <laughs> of communicating scandal. <laughs> Right, right. It uh, it strikes me as as like linguistically similar to to using aholic as like uh, oh man yeah I'm a shirtaholic I'm a chocaholic right I'm like that's not what that meant originally but sure you know we aren't the only ones <laughs> paving a path <laughs> in the English language. <laughs> Hey, I, I I do strongly believe that that language evolves and mm-hmm. we are all part of it and that yes. that's very important. I understand being irritated by specific things though. Um but at, anyway, uh yeah, um you know, the 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 popularity of banh mi in its various forms outside of Vietnam has helped the culture of banh mi thrive in Vietnam itself as, as tourists and food writers and bless them Instagrammers uh, seek out local iterations. Yeah, I definitely feel, and I know this has come up in so many podcasts and it's really made me appreciate how sheltered I was in my small town. But uh, yeah, for me, I feel like I just had never heard about it. And then this like 2014 and then it was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a definitely a beautiful, beautiful boom of, uh, of, of Vietnamese cuisine around that time, around Atlanta especially. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> yes. Oh, so much yes. Oh, I need to. Yeah, that's dinner. <laughs> I think it might be mine too. <laughs> <laughs> the cravings are real. Oh, yes. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Well, that's about what we have to say on the banh mi for now. It is. Um, and we do have a little bit more for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same. And I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener. That's how I feel about Bon Me. <laughs> oh, like a big party with confetti. Yeah. Yes. It's a party in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah wrote, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It's Maria or Mariah. Uh, As I was listening to the Classics Aspects episode, a memory from a couple years ago popped into my mind. I can honestly say I have no recollection of what inspired me to create such a cursed meal and clearly (laughs) had it mostly blocked from my memory for obvious reasons. But I made a SpaghettiO and hot dog aspic. It was as horrible to eat as it was to look at, and I did not get a good sheen on it, although that probably (laughs) wouldn't have helped it any. On a related note, I also thought it'd be fun to share some photos from my 2016 visit to the Jell-O Gallery Museum in Leroy, New York. I was driving back from a trip to Niagara Falls with my ex, and we saw some roadside signs advertising it as an attraction. It was a little out of the way, but we figured we probably wouldn't ever be driving through again, and why not make a pit stop at the Jello Museum? It was as strange and charming as you might imagine. <laughs> Small museum, but my favorite part was the variety of antique vintage molds they had displayed on the wall. Again, I can't stress enough how bizarre this whole place was. If you ever find yourselves in upstate New York, I strongly encourage swinging by. One of the best $5 memories I've ever had. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. wow. I, you know, I have family in upstate New York, and I am offended that they have never brought me there. Oh, yes. You should give them a long talking to. And then once this is all over, make them go with you. (laughs) 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. Huh. Okay. Uh, Jessica wrote, I was listening to the Aspic episode and immediately had to stop what I was doing to write this email at the first mention of Galantine. A rush of flashbacks ensued. In culinary school, we were offered a competition class. These competitions included hot food, pastry, mystery baskets, and cold food platters. I myself had entered several cold platters because I am insane. You see, these platters take weeks to plan and prepare, always ending in a rushed all-nighter, glazing each gross piece, each slice, each individual veg cut. Every shelf of the walk-in was filled with trays of sliced terrines and potatoes studded with toothpicks holding carefully glazed veggies. And the smell. Dear Lord, I will never be free of the memory— We used a very concentrated ratio of gelatin to water, which takes on the unmistakable aroma of dog breath. Ugh. (laughs) This step absolutely needs to be done at the last possible minute as the aspic would degrade on the two-hour trip to the competition if done too far in advance. Insanity, yet I did this for eight competitions. Pairs of students would pick a theme to build a menu from to create these platters with maddeningly elaborate detail, separating the crazy from the truly insane among us. The American Culinary Federation hosts these competitions as well as Philanthropic de Culinaire. Each platter needs three main pieces, uh, galantines, balantines, terrines, pâté en croûte, etc., two main garnishes, uh, carefully composed one-bite snacks or amuse-bouches, a veg salad, a sauce, a judge's plate, and each platter should serve, no one ate these, 16 people. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Try Googling them with terms like ACF and Culinary Olympics. It should make them easier to find. Also, here are some old photos of some of my platters from my competition days, including my first platter. My chosen theme, Alice in Wonderland, if you're wondering why my galantine is bright pink, I wrapped it in sliced watermelon radishes. Oh, and there was something so terrifying and mesmerizing and beautiful about them. Um. <laughs> it's like it's like great and terrible. Like it's like it's like Galadriel. Like it's like you're yes. you're sort of in love with it, but it is like a truly terrible beauty to behold. Yes. It changes you. It changes you. <laughs> <laughs> and we were we were actually just discussing that we're we're loosely planning on doing our next food fairy tale, Alice in Wonderland. So, hey, yes, uh, we it is. I am so excited about that. Um, I think it's going to be. I, I was I was rereading them recently. Uh, the the two Alice books, and the first one is just kind of all about food. So. <laughs> I think we could just do the whole book, but I don't I don't I don't know if I don't know if we should. I don't know if our super producers would appreciate us. <laughs> Can you probably not. Super. Thinking not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, I'm loving. Please keep sending in these pictures of these beautiful and terrible things. <laughs> yes. Aspects. So great. Every day, all the time, please. Yes. Um, thanks to both of them for writing. And if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. 
Well, we are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As always, so many thanks to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. We hope you're doing okay. And we hope that lots of more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.